This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. The following podcast contains explicit language. Welcome to Mom and Dad are Fighting, Slate's parenting podcast for Thursday, August 9th, the 8th grade edition. I'm Allison Benedict, an editor at Slate and the mom of Wally 5, Sam 7, and Harry 9. I'm Rebecca Lavoy, a journalist and podcaster in New Hampshire, and I am mom to Henry, who is 17, Teddy, who is 15, and my stepdaughter, Lily, who is 18. And I'm Carval Wallace, a writer and podcaster in Oakland, California, and I'm the father to Ezra, who is 15, and Georgia, who is 12. So Gabe is on vacation, and I'm filling in. Today on the show, this is great. We're talking to Bo Burnham, the writer-director of the new movie, Eighth Grade, um, along with Betsy Bosdak, the executive editor of Common Sense Media, uh, who has been recommending that middle schoolers see the film despite its R rating. Then we'll be answering a listener question about whether or not to take a 10-year-old on a big trip overseas. And in Slate Plus, Slate Culture Editor and child-free person in the world, Forrest Wickman, is going to join us to ask us what he says is the only parenting question he has ever had. Um, I'll leave that why? as a cliffhanger. <laughs> yes, it is similar to why, but slightly. We will word it differently. Uh, all of that, plus recommendations and triumphs and fails. So let's do triumphs and fails. Carvel, what do you have? Uh, I, I, it's weird because I haven't really seen my kids in a super long time because I had to go back east for, um, to, to report on this story and interview this guy. And then, uh, and then before I got back, my kids left back east to elsewhere back east to go see their grandparents. So we actually like passed each other midair and I haven't seen them for a long time. And, uh, it's been a lot of texting. So I don't know. I, it feels sad because I really miss them. And whenever I don't see my kids for a few days, I noticed like I had this moment yesterday where I was walking through the aisle at like a grocery store and I was like, I feel like so empty and useless. And what is the point of being alive? like, I was like, these are really, and then I was like, oh, I haven't seen my kids. That's why I always get like weirdly disoriented when I'm not, when I don't, when I'm not parenting. It's, and so uh, I don't know if that's a triumph or a fail, but it just, everything feels a little off kilter when my kids aren't around for a long time. Um, but if there's anything that's a triumph in that, it's that. Georgia has texted me and called me like four times with like really weird specific questions that she did not need me to answer in order to like, like to call. She did not need me. She did not need to call me in order to have them answered. They were things she could look up. Like at one point she texted me to ask me when her flight was. And I was like, your mom is right. Like, why are you asking me? And then the third time she called me, she just was like, hey, I haven't seen you in a long time and I miss you. And I was like, aw. And then she was like, I got to go by <laughs> the phone. I was like, oh, oh, okay, let's talk. <laughs> so, you know, there it is. <laughs> they still need you. That's yeah. funny. Henry is uh, right now, he's in Michigan. He went on this, what sounded to me like a hellish uh, trip with his girlfriend and her whole family in a tiny car. They drove 14 hours to Michigan to go, like, just for the family trip that they go on every year to visit, like, the aunts and uncles and cousins or whatever. And they invited yes. him and he really wanted to go. And he's been sending me, 
texting me photos of all the taxidermied animals in the house that they're staying in. And he, he's just like, I'm like, are you having fun? He's like, yeah. He's like, but there's an uncomfortable amount of taxidermied animals in this house. And I'm like, how can that possibly be? And then once a day for the last couple of days, he's been sending me a photo. One of these photos, I swear to God, is like a herd of dead deer in this photo. And this apparently is the room that Henry is sleeping in on this trip. So it's, 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 it's also made me feel good to know that he wants to tell me about this in real time, that it's not sufficient to just like fill me in when he gets back like he wants me to know now. It feels good, right? When they want you to know something yeah. like now. <laughs> yeah. It's definitely a triumph, Carvel. Definitely. Good. <laughs> uh, okay. How about you, Rebecca? Well, I don't know if this is going to be a triumph or not, but I'm I'm trying something new. I'm trying to um we have a really like messed up way of thinking about and not in my nuclear family, but in my family at large, like with my parents. It's generational. Uh thinking about and talking about money, which I think I've talked about in the podcast before. Mm-hmm. Money is a very fraught subject. It comes with a lot of strings. Mm-hmm. I don't have the kind of family, like my husband's family, for instance, like if you need help with anything, you just ask and if they can help, they're going to help and that's that. So I am actively trying to find out, figure out ways I can break this cycle. And I, I feel like I've done a pretty good job with that with my kids so far, but I'm trying something new to break one bad habit or what I think is a bad habit that I have because I know how it felt when I was younger and it would happen to me. Uh, and I'm, I tried it with my son once last week, and I, I tried it with another family member who also needed help uh, earlier this week, which is that when somebody asks to borrow money, my new rule is to only ask uh, two questions. How much do you need, and when do you think you're going to be able to pay it back? And that's it. Like, no other questions. And when I do this with my with my younger son, Teddy, he was just like, you can tell he's just ready with like the whole sales pitch about like why he needs a loan and like why, you know, this thing that he wants or whatever, whatever. And I, I've really come to realize that whole thing where you ask somebody to justify a loan, it's not a gift, it's a loan. You are, I feel like I was passing along that same thing that sort of plagued me my whole life and my family's weird relationship with money. Like if someone's asking to borrow money, it's a transaction. Uh, and if they can pay you back, then what do you care? I mean, if they're not using it to, you know, finance a terrorist operation, obviously, that's be a different conversation. Um, but it's really like completely changed the money conversation with my son and I. He paid me back on time uh, when, when the, I, t- I tried this last week. And uh, this other family member who needed a little bit more help uh, is somebody that I know, you know, will pay me back on time. And if they don't, that's okay. We can work something else out. But the sort of freeing of the conversation from that whole thing where the person feels like they need to or the kid feels like they need to like do the whole rigmarole about why they're in the scrape they in why they need to borrow the money and maybe that temptation to like massage things to make it seem like not as bad as it is or whatever like freeing myself from that and just asking like what help do you need when can you pay it back and that's that it's i think going to work out well we will see but it's an experiment i'm trying and it feels good so for now i'm going to brand it a triumph uh if it feels good for you imagine how it feels good for them i mean there's like always there's like the moral you know you feel like you're uh, you failed if you have to ask someone for help financial help yeah 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 uh i support that attempt to take well, thanks, Allison. a judgment out of money, but I also <laughs> think it's really hard. So super hard, yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
Okay, well, I have a fail. Uh, Wally, who's you guys all have older children, and now I feel like it's just like a silly, a silly little kid thing. But anyway, Wally, <laughs> who's my youngest, who's five, he's been going to the same camp all summer where he went last camp uh, last summer as well. It's just like a camp in town. Um, it's great, but he hates it. Um, he like you know cries every morning and begs not to go. He cries when we drop him off. Uh, when he comes home, he seems perfectly fine. He said he had a fun day. The counselor said say he was fine. But this summer, last summer it really wasn't like that. Last summer he was fine going. This summer it's been, it just has not gotten better over time. And when we drop off, it's extremely chaotic. And a lot of the kids are completely fine handling that. Um, but he just isn't. And like his counselor, we never can find his counselor. And no one says hi to him. And it's not like, you know, I don't want to have the special snowflake of a child that everyone needs to be like, Wally's here. But it's nice when a kid gets there and someone says, hey, Wally. And so I expressed this to to the director earlier in the summer just to say, like, he's having a tough time. I know you have a lot of kids to worry about if there's like any little thing that can be done to like just, you know, grab his hand and help us out to get because we're like constantly searching for someone to basically take him and like hold him and back while we're leaving because he's crying and screaming. Uh, could you help us out? And it just hasn't changed. It just hasn't changed all summer. And we took a break from the camp, and a, a planned break from the camp because we were going away and we came home and we had to put him in a different camp for a week. And he was so happy and it was so easy. And so we decided to pull him out of, for the rest of the summer, we decided to pull him out of this town camp, send him to the other camp and eat the cost. And I feel like probably that's not gr- a great thing to do. Like instead, he sh- we should just all deal with the difficult situation for the summer. Uh, but instead, we're just doing what's easier. Well, it's easier for you because your summer was not going well as a result of this. I mean, if it's something that's not going to like break your family and that you can't pay your mortgage because you did this and everybody's happier... I don't see that as a fail. I really don't. <laughs> what is the point if you're miserable? Yeah, like what is the point of sticking? Like what is the what is the advantage of sticking it out? Like, because it's like that... a camp that seems fine for everyone else. So like, why can't okay, he? Okay, but like... it's not fine for him. So I mean, he's like not happy. So like, if if it was like something like okay, this is you know this is like a math camp and you need to learn math and you <laughs> suck at math and you need to get better. That's one thing. But yeah. it's like why? I mean, if the cost isn't going to kill you. It seems like the the parent it's a parenting triumph to say I'm going to make a decision that makes my kid happy you know that's I'm I'm like yeah I think this is a I think this is totally a a a, a um victory for you. Hmm. I wonder if you feel totally. that way if he was older because I mean, he, <laughs> he's too no because he's too young now to understand like mommy and daddy are going to spend an extra $600 to send you to you know the camp that you like better. I mean, maybe that's not, I'm saying in a tone that makes that sound like it's such a bad message. Maybe that's not a bad message to send, but it seems so uh, spoiled um, because he's younger. He won't get that. And he's just, you know, happy he's going to a different camp, um, right. which maybe makes this was it, for you. This was for you as well. This as was for, for you. Him. Exactly. That that's way. there you go. That's <laughs> yeah. that's why I think it's a yeah. triumph because yeah. you did what made you happy. Yeah. <laughs> OK. All right. Thanks. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Okay, we're going to get to eighth grade in a minute, but first let's do a bit of business. As always, if you have a question you'd like us to answer on air, leave us a message at 424-255-7833, or you can email us at slate.com. Also, check out the Slate Parenting Group on Facebook. It's a really fun and supportive community, and it's a great place to talk about the show, see pictures of Carvel. What I, I didn't key into that, but on my Facebook, like picture, old pictures of to, you keep this is not popping even, up. I feel like this is not, it's not necessary. <laughs> <laughs> and, I'm, it's you know, you can talk about your own parenting triumphs and fails, post your own photos of yourselves if you like. Uh, just search for Slate Parenting on Facebook. Also, tickets are still available for Slate Day, a live podcast experience produced in connection with the Texas Tribune Festival. Join Slate's politically minded shows, Political Gab Fest, Trumpcast, Amicus, El Gab Fest, and The Gist, and you'll have a unique opportunity to mingle with the hosts and fellow fans during our cocktail party and purchase exclusive merchandise. I don't know what exclusive Slate merchandise is, but at a Slate (laughs) pop-up shop. Uh, Slate Day will take place at the Capitol Factory in downtown Austin, Texas on Saturday, September 29th in partnership with the Texas Tribune Festival. It's an intimate venue with limited seating. So go to slate.com slash live to get your tickets and more information now. And finally, Slate Plus. As I said earlier, we're going to have a doozy of a question from Slate's child-free culture editor as our plus segment today. So to hear more doozies and to get ad-free podcasts, sign up for Slate Plus. It's a great way to help support us. For just $35 for your first year, you can help cover the cost of producing Mom and Dad are Fighting and your other favorite Slate shows. And of course, in return, you'll get extended ad-free versions of this show and other great Slate shows and a ton of other great benefits. Now is also a really good time to sign up because we just uh, launched the second season of Slow Burn, our terrific, uh, well, it's not a terrific (laughs) Watergate podcast anymore. Now it's our terrific Clinton scandal and impeachment podcast. um, And there'll be extra episodes for Slate Plus members. So go to slate.com slash mom and dad plus to support mom and dad are fighting and join Slate Plus today. This week, Rebecca Carvel and I all saw eighth grade writer-director Bo Burnham's new movie about the on- and offline life of 13-year-old Kayla as she navigates the last week of her eighth grade year. Slate's movie critic Dana Stevens described the movie as funny, heartfelt, and utterly original, a movie about middle school starring real middle school-age kids to which one might enjoyably take actual middle schoolers so long as they and their parents are willing to tolerate a reasonably high degree of shared comic embarrassment. In a real-life 8th grader, Slate interviewed for a video about how 8th graders feel about the movie, called it an incredibly accurate portrayal of what 8th grade is like, which also made it really uncomfortable to watch. Let's listen to a clip. This is uh, Kayla uh, ends up at the mall with a couple of new high school friends, and the high school friends are sort of talking about their, what, what is it called, micro-generation gap? Is that what, it, is that what you would call it? Um, between Kayla, who is entering ninth grade and they are seniors i believe she's different generation than us she's, she's right not a to different generation yeah she is she's four years younger than us i mean okay but people who are like four years older than us felt like fucking 
50 years old. It's like blatantly not Your true. sister? My sister just sucks. Okay, but like, on top of that, she didn't have Twitter in middle school, and we did. That made us different. Okay, well, you're not different than us. Well, yeah. When did you get Snapchat? What grade? Fifth grade. Fifth grade? Oh. Okay, to talk about the movie, it's our reigning and why kids should see it anyway. We're joined today by two special guests, Bo Burnham, the writer and director, and Betsy Bozek, the executive editor of Common Sense Media, who has been recommending kids see the movie despite its R rating. Uh, hey, guys. Hi. Hello. So to start, Bo, why don't you just tell us a little bit about how you came to make this movie? Um, you know, I was really just wanting to write about how I was feeling at the time that I was writing it, which I was feeling nervous and I was feeling anxious. And then I sort of wanted to write about the current moment, sort of what it felt like to be alive right now. And as I sort of described my own feelings to myself, I realized that I was feeling like an eighth grader and that maybe culturally we're kind of having an eighth grade moment. It feels like, it feels like everything's changing really quickly and we don't know what's happening and we're sweating and help us and our bodies are exploding as a country. So <laughs> it's like the right way to go after it. As you watch it, you're like sort of, or at least I was kind of, you know, dying for this girl and how tough it is to be that age, but also like completely relating to it as a <laughs> adult with a phone. Like not just, I don't mean as a parent with children, but like as an adult with a phone and, you know, performing well, in yeah, the world. Yeah, exactly. Well, uh, the, the thing is, uh, I've noticed that all of my friends people older than me, we're all, like, I wanted to write about the internet. It felt like we're all acting like 13-year-olds on the internet. So why not tell a story about the only kids that are acting their own age, yeah. you know? So clearly you thought a lot about how online life connects to whatever we call the other thing, real life, offline life, and how technology is changing and what growing up is like. But I didn't walk away from the movie feeling like there was... One, a particular judgment. It wasn't like anti-social media exactly. I thought like Caleb's YouTube videos, which she makes and kind of uh, gives speeches to sort of herself, pep talks to herself because she doesn't have a lot of viewers about being confident. Like I found that those to be somewhat, you know, maybe good for her. So I, I just do you, like, are, do you feel as conflicted about technology's impact as the rest of us? Or were you going for kind of a certain... Um, statement on social media i definitely wasn't going for a statement no i mean i feel ambivalent about it i mean i'm in it you know the the, the internet means something to me emotionally and i didn't feel like i it was being represented correctly it was being represented by what i felt finger-wagging adults that actually don't participate in it emotionally um the truth is if the internet was just bad it'd be so easy to address just throw your phone into the ocean it's over the problem is <laughs> It's not. It, 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 it isolates us and it connects us. It stimulates us and it numbs us. We can express ourselves and we can objectify ourselves. We can start a wonderful, wonderful social movement that, for example, changes the way we think about women in the workplace, or we can set the country on fire. And we've done both of those things. You know, um, so, yeah, there's like, you, you see the internet playing out personally and nationally, it, good and bad all the time. I just think the internet is powerful. It just makes things deeper and more powerful. 
I felt like uh, so the character uh, Kayla is is trying on all these personas online, right? We see her doing the makeup video in the morning, and then we see her doing the selfies where she says she just woke up looking like this. You know, all she, she's sort of you know, and and even on her videos, we see like you know because of the way she's lit herself, like you can't see her acne. Like it's definitely a different view of her than we as the viewer see when we actually see close up shots of this like terrific young actress playing this role. By the way, the, the actress playing Kayla, Elsie Fisher, is like my favorite part of this whole film. She's just incredible. Uh, but the thing that really struck me was that we also see her. So we see her, you know, the, her playing these two people, the real her and the internet her. And then we also see her comparing herself to the real herself and all these kids that are surrounding her, these like glossy, you know, better off, uh, you know, kind of popular kids, for lack of a better, more sophisticated phrase. And I mean, is, is that kind of the the idea here that she's getting some of this, you know, confidence and this desire to be better from like being able to envision a different version of herself and play out those versions of herself on social media and online? Well, that's part of it for sure. I mean, for me, the sort of way that like kids expressing themselves online has been framed in like the, in the popular cultural conversation is, man, this generation is so self-obsessed or man, they're such liars. They present themselves as so happy and cool and we know they're lying. And to me, it isn't just a lie. There's something very beautiful about trying to speak yourself into existence. It's, it's, it's a lot what you, mm-hmm. of what you, said, what you said, which is that, uh, yeah, trying to maybe live out loud in the air in front of your mouth before you can actually put it into action, sort of like vision boarding out loud. It's exactly right. It's what being a kid is. What being a kid is just like trying on a bunch of different ways of thinking and expressing yourself and seeing which one you like. And by the time you get old, you kind of convince yourself that the one you liked is the true you. <laughs> so it's also, as much as it, as it is a way for me to maybe to talk about the way kids navigate their sense of self, for me it's a way to sort of transparently examine the way I navigate myself. And if I'm honest with myself, I am doing just what Kayla's doing all the time. I'm just better at it because I'm an adult. I'm very aware of how I sound right now and how, I, and how I'll come off to your listeners. And I'm trying very hard to balance, you know, being interesting without sounding pretentious and being down to earth without sounding <laughs> pedestrian. You know what I mean? It's like, mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. all those things still exist. I think it's just at that age, you're like a grandfather clock. We can just see into you. We can just see all the working parts and that's beautiful. Yeah. I mean, adults talk about imposter syndrome all the time. <laughs> yeah. Everybody feels like mm-hmm. they're faking it. Yeah. Yeah. I want to I want to ask a little bit about I have two questions, but one is about the the father character. But since a lot of our listeners are parents, you know, I watching it like both sort of was reminded of the uh, horror of my own middle school life, but also the difficulty of trying to parent uh, like like current middle schoolers. And I want to ask you about the way that you conceived of and wrote that character who essentially just is doing his best to like try and be there for her. He he stay fairly stays the course. He and I wonder if you think of him. I wonder what you think of his parenting and what you think what mistakes you think he makes or if any in the way that you like wrote him. And we should just say for our listeners, he's a single dad. Yes, he's a single dad. 
Yeah, it's a great question. Yeah, I, I, I think I sort of wrote him as a single dad, too, because it was a way to sort of give voice to my ignorance on her perspective. Because at a certain point, I felt like her. I felt like a nervous kid on the Internet. But I also feel like an out-of-touch dude that has no idea what she's going through and just wants the best for her, you know? So it was a way for me to... I'm right between them, and I feel like both of them. And there's a lot of my mother in him specifically. Yeah, there are things that don't necessarily... You know, there are mistakes he makes moment to moment. But I think the mistake would be to believe that they're not meant to make mistakes and that you're not meant, like, I think part of being that age with part of the relationship with your parent, of course, is pushing away from them, going, leave me alone, leave me alone. Can you drive me to the mall? You know, (laughs) like those questions back to back, you know, like, I love you. Shut up. Um, like, oh my God, don't look at me, hug me, you know? So I think that is part, part of his job, I think, as a parent is to be a punching bag, is to not understand her at some level so that she can feel like she has some sort of mental independence, but also to understand her at a very deep level so she doesn't feel like alone on a soul level. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I just, I... Part, part of what we wanted to do, though, was to show that, you know, sometimes parent relationships in, in movies with teens can be very fraught. And, and, and we wanted to just show that, you know, it can be an ostensibly pretty good, loving relationship. And there are still worries and there are still problems. But I think those problems are productive. I think it really is. Like, you know, your kid's trying to figure out what they are and what they can push against and the, the intention is, is all that matters. I mean, if, of course things aren't going to work out practically. Like, it's an, it's, it's an impossible job. It's also a really cool thing about thinking about parents and kids seeing this movie together. I think, like, the... I'm guessing, and I want to ask you guys a little bit more about this, but the idea is for, you know, parents to better understand what it's like to be a kid these days. But I also think it's pretty cool for kids to be able to, like, see this this parent figure struggling to connect and, like... You know, just like having this extremely pure love, which seems obvious to us as parents, but probably as a 13-year-old kid maybe doesn't. I love I love the idea of that sort of being part of what a, what parents and kids experience together when they're seeing the movie. Mm-hmm. Yes, I think and I think I think parent like kids get a world into that, like your parents struggling to talk to you is very similar to you struggling to talk to kids at school. Yeah. Like your parents. Your parents are actually are also trying to navigate the relationships in their life like you are. And yeah. you are one of those people to them. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, your parents are trying to talk to a middle schooler just like you're trying to talk to a middle schooler. And the reality <laughs> is no one knows how to talk <laughs> no to a middle schooler. To middle <laughs> it's like everyone's got the same problem. Yeah, yeah. But, um, but, but the, the other question I wanted to ask you, and this is kind of a parenting question, but it's kind of couched in a directing question, which is that, you know, the clip that we heard is that scene in the mall where she's hanging with the older kids and they're having this this dialogue. And um, in that scene and in the other scenes, I was really struck by the 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 children's and the kids' performances and how naturalistic and, and realistic and comfortable they seemed to feel in their roles and how much space they felt like they were allowed to take on camera to be themselves. And I think that's really, really hard to get in a film. And in some senses, this film felt not only like a comedy. There was on a meta level, it felt like 
a commentary on the way kids are portrayed in other films, which is that my own kids have this problem with every film is that is that kids always say the right thing. You know, this is like an issue that my kids always bring up. They're like, why is it that in these movies, kids always say like the dope thing at the exact right time? And like, they're like, no one I know does that. And in, and in this movie, one of the things I loved is that these kids are constantly fumbling for words. They're constantly, um, you know, sort of backing their way into brilliant points without knowing that they're saying it and they're stumbling over themselves. And I wonder, as a director, how is it that you, like, facilitated that space, putting these kids in front of a camera and saying, no, you really can be yourself? Like, how did you go about working that with them? Well, I really, really appreciate that. And, yeah, that that is, you're totally spot on for the intention. Like, for me, the the antagonist of the movie is actually just the cultural standard of the representation of kids in media. You know, like that Mm. is what most kids I think in their everyday life are struggling against is like, even in real life outside of movies, kids feel the pressure of why, why do I not live my life? Like the characters I see and, and not Mm -hmm. why don't I look like them? Why can't I articulate myself like them? Mm -hmm. So a lot of it was giving permission to kids to, be inarticulate and vulnerable and to tell them, you know, the worst thing you can do is deliver this line correctly. I mean, but, but the way <laughs> practically when, it, you know, you go about that is there's a lesson I learned doing theater very young, which is kids are very hungry to have ownership over things and to throw themselves into something. And if you can let them know that, that they are, that this is theirs and, and, and they actually, and it's really a lesson for any actor or, or any collaborator, I think, in anything is, is they are not a conduit for your vision. They are actual co-authors of these moments. You know, like I would tell them all the time, you know what a 13-year-old, being a 13-year-old is like. No one else does. Like you are the only one that knows what being your age now is. Just show me, like show me what that is. Um, but there are also practical things of like, in pre-production, I went up and I met, I met every extra one-on-one and just had like a little five-minute conversation with them. So when they showed up to set, they weren't freaked out thinking like, I have to be in a movie right now, you know, and yeah. that, that, that's what yeah. the thing is. It's, they have this thing in their head of what it means to be in a movie and they feel like they have to be that when they're on set. And I actually think as far as it's relevant, relevant to parenting, that impulse has actually bled into real life and kids feel like they need to be in a movie in their own life. And it's media's responsibility to portray kids as they are. And there's a lot of media that like pretends to be realistic, but is so not realistic at the articulated level. And that's really what's developing at that age. What's re- you know, it appears at that age that what's developing is, you know, your body or whatever, whatever, your skin. But what's really developing is your own thoughts and how they make their way out of your mouth. Uh, Betsy, I want to ask you, so I use Common Sense Media when I am thinking about whether or not to um, show my kids a movie. And I f- generally feel like you guys are a little stricter than I am. So I was <laughs> surprised and pleased that you were advocating for kids, despite the R rating, to go see this movie with their parents. When I went to see it a couple of nights ago with my husband, there was a family behind us, a mom and her two kids. 
And during the blowjob scene, I will admit that I was kind of dying for her. And she and I could also mm-hmm. hear her kind of dying and her son kind of dying. Uh, I mean, I think they loved the movie, but like it was uncomfortable. So talk a little bit about, you know, why you think parents and kids should see this together despite the R rating, despite the blowjob or because of it. Right. Well, I think, I mean, obviously the reason we think that it's right for kids to see is because it is the life that they're living every day. Um, in terms of co-viewing, we always advocate, you know, co-viewing when possible and when practical, and this is no exception. And I think in this case, the opportunity that it really affords parents and teens is the ability to sort of talk about some of this stuff without having to, like, sort of bring it up out of the blue or say, so you and your friends are talking about oral sex, huh? No, you can say, hey, that scene where... Kayla, look that thing up online. Has you know, <laughs> you could, there's a shorthand that you don't have to really get in necessarily into the weeds. It's kind of like saying, talking about friends. Like, oh, have any of your friends been going through this kind of thing, or has anybody, anybody you know, get in a car and wish they could be somewhere else, and how did they handle it, and what would you do in that situation? And I think it really helps parents and teens connect with and relate to each other and gives them the opportunity to discuss some of these things without it having to be a let's sit down and have a whole conversation about sex and safety. Bo, do you feel comfortable with like the this piece of art you made as a life lesson? Well, you know, I mean, I can't think of it like that because I felt like what is what is responsibly required for kids, at least in media for me, is what we were trying to do is make something that wasn't necessarily trying to do that for kids and thus would do it for kids. I, that sounds so backwards. But what, what I'm trying to say is that, like, that, that, that we were just trying to basically pre- present their reality honestly and empathetically and also at an eye level. And part of viewing their reality at an eye level is not believing that they're little kids that need lessons taught to them, which they right. do, but I'm saying, which they are and they do, but this movie is meant to like really see Kayla and them as equals to us and people with signi- that, that they are, as much as they are kids struggling with being kids, they are also struggling with the human condition. So part of what the movie's trying to do is just dignify them as full feeling people. But, um, I mean, I can I'm I can stand behind everything in the film in terms of what it does for kids or what it represents for kids. I mean, the truth is, I understand the impulse to want to protect kids from content. I tot like I totally get that. the The sad reality is that they have access to all of it, and the problem is in the access they have on the internet. They have access to all of the stuff in our movie at a higher degree with zero context. And that's what they need. They just need like yep. the emotional the emotional context for these things. Totally. The, the the significance of these things within, say, a narrative. And you can and, and the context that narratives give are are just can't be beat. They just you know you you'll never be able to understand something as well as you can when it's narrativized or whatever. Guys, thank you so much. We really love talking to you, and it's a great movie. Thank you, guys. Really appreciate it. Thanks, guys. You bet. Thanks.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, time for our listener question. As always, if you have a question you'd like us to answer on air, leave us a message at 424-255-7833, or you can email us at slate.com. Here's the question. Hi, Mom and Dad are fighting. My husband and I feel stuck trying to decide whether my 10-year-old will accompany me when I visit my sister in Ethiopia for two weeks at the end of December. My husband is staying home with our 5-year-old. We are weighing our worries about illness and expense with the idea of opening her eyes a bit to the wider world. We'll have my sister as a guide, but our journey would include travel by bus and minibuses to my sister's remote site. Part of me wants to make the visit just as a sister. It would be a different kind of trip for me to be a parent, monitoring for my daughter's well-being in an unfamiliar setting when we could be tired and cranky. Am I letting my anxiety interfere with living the bigger life and showing my kid the world? Are there questions I'm missing as we consider this? Thank you. I value and respect your advice. That's a layup for me. Um, I think you should absolutely take your 10-year-old to Ethiopia. If you have a chance to give her that experience, go for it. There is not a situation in my life that I can remember traveling with my kids and saying, I wish I had not taken my kids on that trip with me. It doesn't just open them up to a broader world. It also gives you a chance to reset the pa- the patterns of your parenting. For instance, uh, one trip we went on, there was a situation where because of the place we were, we had to all, you know, sort of shift our uh, dining habits and patterns and kind of eat whatever there was at the time that we had had it. And guess what? That stuck in our house. And family dinners became like an almost everyday occurrence for us because of that trip. As far as your anxieties about things like tiredness, crankiness, the travel stuff, I think you'll find that traveling with just your 10-year-old is about one-tenth as difficult with going anywhere with your 10-year-old and your 5-year-old. Kids behave differently when they're away from their sibling. Uh, she will value and you know probably have a completely different dynamic with you, and she'll value the time she has alone with you. And I think those travel adventures, the buses, the minibus, the getting to remote places— is exactly what you, how you described it. It's an adventure. It's an opportunity she will not get in any other aspect of her life, and it's something you can navigate together. And if there are parts that feel unfamiliar or stressful, you can share that, and that can be a part of the traveling experience. And frankly, that's kind of what getting out in the world is all about. So I say if you can afford it, if it is not inconvenient in some way that will be very, very disruptive to your family, and this is an opportunity that you 100% have and it just comes down to should I or shouldn't I, do it. Absolutely do it. No questions uh, needed for me in order to justify that answer to you. So do it. Get it done. Bring her with you. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with that. I mean, I, I think that, I mean, Rebecca, everything Rebecca says is right. And I think that one of the great things about travel is that there is a certain the the I actually I really want to underline the thing that Rebecca said about 
the kids acting differently when they're alone, when it's like just the older kid with the parent, you with a single parent, you will get a different kid. That's been my experience. And that kid will be a lot more amenable to change, a lot less likely to whine, a lot less white, likely to just do kid stuff. I don't know exactly why that is, but that just is the way it is. And um, I love that about, especially around starting to get around the double digits, that happens a lot more. And um the thing about travel is that there's a certain attitude that one has to take in order to have travel work out, which is that you kind of have to be chill. I mean, I think Americans especially, when Ameri- when we travel abroad, like a lot of times the there's a certain kind of like downshifting from our own expectations that has to happen in order for us to feel like really get what the place has to offer. And that's a really valuable lesson to teach your kid that like travel is not about getting what you want when you want it, at, at, you know, like as you want or else being upset. It's about like sort of trying what you would try and then seeing what happens and then figuring how to adjust to that and so on and so forth. That is a tremendously valuable. And I think it's a great experience for kids. The other thing I would say, you know, at the end of the letter, she asks, is there anything that I haven't thought of? And one of the things that I think uh, it's hard to imagine, but I think it's true, is that even if your kid has, like, let's say illness is a big fear, like they're going to drink the water, like have some fruit that makes them weird, and then they're sick for three days, I think, or or they hate being on a bus, or they see things that stress them out, or that make them feel, you know, fearful, or the poverty stresses them out, or whatever. Even if those things happen, the, your kid will still see so many wonderful, amazing things that they'll be interested in, fascinated by, curious about, that in the end, it's like it's – I guess what I'm saying is it's possible for your kid to have bad things happen on the trip and also still get a lot out of it. It's not one or the other, right? It's not like either they get super sick or they have a great trip. It's like they can get sick and also have a great trip. They can like feel – you know, get car sick on the bus that takes three hours to go somewhere and also be really fascinated by this architecture or this family that you stayed with or this like museum you went to or this like landscape that you saw that was like breathtaking – all those things can happen. Travel is awesome. And if you have the means and possibility to do it, by all means, especially I think it's wise to go uh, when your kid is older and to take one kid, by all means, go for it. All right. I agree with you guys. We would love to hear from you after you take this trip. Yeah. Tell, tell, tell us if we ruined it for you. <laughs> <laughs> Send pictures. <laughs> Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Let's move on to recommendations. Rebecca. So my recommendation is about a way to do something that many of us do and agonize about and stress over forgetting to do and all that stuff. My son, Teddy, goes to sleepaway camp for two weeks every summer. He's there now. And if you remember sleepaway camp from when you were a kid, it's really freaking important to get mail at sleepaway camp. Even when you get older, like the mail and at the camp he goes to, it's like it's so charming. It makes you want to vomit. Like mail comes by boat every day. There's a mail boat on Lake Winnipesaukee. True story. Uh, so it's a whole big thing getting mail. And when he was a lot younger, I would earnestly like buy stuff the month before he was going to camp camp, like at the dollar store, like at the bookstore and like, you know, put together these like big fat envelopes and like 
be like, send this one before he leaves so he gets mail like the second day he's there. And now I just don't give a shit anymore. I'm like, you're a 15-year-old kid. Uh, this is a thing I'm supposed to do. But I also know that it's just about actually getting the thing. And I also forget because I'm busy and like there's a lot going on. And like I'm taping this podcast on like a Wednesday afternoon. And like, how am I going to get to this stupid post office? So last year I had a revelation. And this is my recommendation. Use freaking Amazon to send your kids shit at camp because Amazon delivers anywhere, even to your kid at camp. So <laughs> I just use my handy dandy prime to send him a cool T-shirt or a fun like sticker or a fun. He's not allowed to get food at the camp he's at. But yes, you can buy five pound bags of Haribo gummy bears on Amazon or anything you want. And they will deliver it there. And I can tell you from last year's experience when he came home. He liked the mail and the experience of getting the mail as much, if not better, than the actual mail he got from me in the little envelopes with the special notes in them because the stuff was cooler because he was getting packages from Amazon at camp and he thought that was super cool. And it made it a lot easier for me. So that's my recommendation. If you're stressing about sending your kids crap at camp, let Amazon do the work for you. They're happy to get it done. That's a good one. (laughs) Uh, I'm recommending, uh, everyone knows the popular book, The Notorious RBG um, by Aaron Cameron and Shauna Kinsnick. But uh, few people know that there is a young reader's edition of of that book, which is probably for kids, I don't know, like, whoa, I'm going to say 11, 12 and up. That basically takes the text of Notorious RBG, includes more pictures, kind of like simplifies the main points as fewer pages and... uh, it's uh, so if you're psyched about your kid wanting to like if you're psyched about wanting your kid to know about Ruth Bader Ginsburg, but you feel like the actual volume is a little heavy in terms of text for them. The Young Readers Edition of Notorious RBG is my recommendation for this week. That's great. Um, I'm going to recommend a, a New York Times piece that was just a collection of responses to another piece that they ran. They ran. Did you guys talk about this maybe on an earlier podcast that viral piece motherhood in the age of fear? So that was like that piece was everywhere maybe last early last week. And then the Times ran responses from people around the world to that piece, the headline of which was from Tokyo to Paris, parents tell Americans to chill. And it's just a collection of like really delightful (laughs) anecdotes from people around the world that are all basically like, I let my three year old walk to town with scissors to buy me marijuana. Like it's just so like <laughs> everyone saying we're crazy and they are are, you know, easygoing and their kids have tons of independence and everyone's fine and it's quite wonderful to to read and like, you know, good to think about. Hmm. And that's it. That's our show. Mom and Dad are Fighting is produced by Benjamin Frisch. The homepage for the show is slate.com slash mom and dad. If you have a question you'd like to ask us on air, leave us a message at 424-255-7833. You can also join us on Facebook. Just search for Slate Parenting. For Carvel Wallace and Rebecca Lavoie, I'm Allison Benedict. And they will see you with another special guest host, Dan Coyce, next week. 